Welcome to the Losing Weight with Fasting and Mindful Eating podcast. I am your host, Monika Banach, an advanced practice nurse and a weight loss coach. I am so grateful for you taking the time to listen to today's episode. I am super excited about this episode. I have a special guest on today. His name is Jerry Smith. He is a physician assistant and he specializes in hormone optimization. In the first part of this podcast, we are going to kind of go over my blood work results that I recently had done due to my hormone issues. And I'm going to ask him some questions about some of the abnormalities that I've seen on my blood work. And hopefully it will be informative for you guys. And in the second part of this podcast, I'm going to go over hormone-related issues for men and women, testosterone questions, sexual vitality questions, all that stuff. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. Let's get started. Hello, Jerry. Thank you for being here. Hello, Um, Monica. Thank you for having (laughs) us. So I'm going to introduce Jerry real quick. Jerry Smith, he's a PA. It's like a witness protection name. It is. Jerry Smith, the PA. (laughs) Is that your real name? Today. Okay, today. (laughs) He's a part owner of the Optimize You Clinic, which specializes in hormone replacement therapy. They have cryo, infrared, which I love, compression therapy. Some of your locations have float therapy as well. Correct. Here in Paducah, where I am today, we have two float chambers. Oh, it's a very popular thing that people are doing it is. these days. And then also IV therapy, anything else mm-hmm. that I'm missing? No, that captures most of it. There's some other things we're playing with. You know, we're trying to get into maybe looking at hyperbaric and a few other things. But yeah, you've covered pretty much everything. Awesome place. I love it. I'm addicted. Currently, yeah. they have uh, four locations, one in Clarksville, Tennessee, one in Paducah, Kentucky, and Cape I can never say that name. Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Girardeau, Missouri, yes. (laughs) Lexington, Kentucky. And they're building a few more in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville and Nashville currently. And then, you know, St. Louis is on the radar here soon. And then there's another friend kind of provider of ours. He's a physician. And we're looking at Miami of all places. Wow, that's awesome. Really expanding more than we ever thought we would. Yeah, I need to jump in and become a partner somehow, you know? Yes. <laughs> I'm drinking my coffee while we have this podcast. I hope that's okay with your viewers. I like, I like black coffee. You're so MCT funny. <laughs> so just a little bit about Jerry. He grew up in Paducah, Kentucky. He's got a BSN in biochemistry, smarty pants, and then master's in physician assistant studies. He yep. has worked as a PA in mainly hospital medicine, orthospine, and now he specializes in hormone optimization. He has extended training with hundreds of CME hours specializing in hormones. Hundreds of expensive CME hours. (laughs) And he's currently finishing accreditation with WorldLink, right? uh, Yep, I'm working on finishing. Neil Rousier is kind of the founder there of WorldLink. And then A4M Society. Right, the the, uh, American Anti-Aging which is awesome society, something like that. So I'm working to get multiple group accreditations just so I kind of see the both sides of a couple different divergent arguments there. I love it. I love it. So I wanted to do this podcast with Jerry because I recently actually did a podcast about hormone 
Hormonal Imbalance, mainly in women, episode 13. And after losing about 60 pounds this year, I kind of ignored the whole hormone issue. <laughs> and I just, you know, I fasted and did things whenever I wanted to, instead of paying attention to like my cycle, when to optimize my hormones. So I'm being smarter now. And in the last two months, things have leveled up. So I'm happy. But then when I went to Jerry's clinic, I went ahead and got all my hormones tested, which I'm super grateful for. The Optimize Clinic has an amazing deal on blood work because the contract they have with LabCorp and the blood panel that they do is amazing. It's like BMP, CBC, lipids, lipid panel, thyroid panel, all the hormones, DHEA, B12, D3, probably a bunch of other stuff. Stuff yeah, that- there's some binding globulins in there, which I think gets overlooked a lot. We can get into that here in a minute. That- when you say thyroid panel, yeah, I, I don't like it when people just look at a TSH and a T4 and call it good. I really think yeah. they're looking at free T3s and things. So, yeah, but, but this, like, just the panel of like all these labs would cost like over $800 probably. I got good. this. I got this done and I got my blood work done in January and it, I had to pay additional $400 with my insurance. Are you serious? Yes. With my, and I didn't even do any, any of my testosterone, like none of my hormones. They didn't do my thyroid panel, no B12. And it was so much money. And their clinic, they have a special at this moment, at least, and it's around $150, which is absolutely amazing. I think that price will stand for quite some time. That's the price that I think most people can afford to get that extensive lab work. I think we'll try to keep that around for a long time. I mean, that is amazing. I don't even know how you guys pulled that off. But yeah, if if you're in Missouri, Tennessee, or Kentucky, anywhere near those locations, get your lab work done. I have been sending a few people from my work to you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Because it's just, it's like, they're like, no way. I'm like, yes, it Mm -hmm. is. So so thank you. I'm super excited and thank you for doing my lab work. So the first part of this conversation, I want to talk about, just go over my lab values and stuff that you feel like there's anything, you know, out of whack that, you know, I should be aware of, anything that you think, you know, stands out and of course you can share all my lab work and yes, you're you're not going to sue me this is this is an okay no. comment <laughs> no hipaa um, no hipaa no no i, I took a look at your labs and i guess you know we'll avoid getting into the symptom part of this that'll be a private discussion between you and i but just the basic rundown here and you know dhea we're looking at about 169 i think in the female setting that's not unreasonable i try to push to around 250 in a male, I'd push higher than that. It kind of backloads the pathway for sex hormone production and cholesterol metabolization. Your free testosterone, I thought was kind of interesting. You're about a 1.5. Here we go. Like it comes down to what's normal and what's optimal. Those are two different things, right? Mm-hmm. You're in the lower quartile of what I think you should be. I like females that get up into the three and a half or four range, maybe four and a half. So I'd like to do a bit more testosterone and the benefits of that for females. Again, I think we'll get into that surely, but most of the time I'm using it for sexual function. I mean, energy in general, there's a whole other arm of it for lean mass and some other things, but in general, I like to see it a bit higher than where you are, but not unreasonable. It's not a crazy number. 
progesterone and estradiol are two things in a female that still has cycles and still worried about water weight retention and things like that and mood to swing, mood disorders. I think yours look really good. Your estradiol is 226 and your progesterone is 20. You're looking at about a you know 10-ish to one ratio. I don't know where you were in your cycle when we drew this, which is an important part of it. But uh, I was in the luteal phase, actually. I remember I marked, I made sure that I, you know. Yeah. Got... So we're not far off where we're really, you know, the, an average sexually active, happy, not overtly, you know, dysmenorrheic female should be. I think most of the time in today's society when I see estrogen dominance and it presents itself via, you know, irregular menses and water weight retention and poor sleep quality and mood stuff and, you know, no sexual desire. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing women with estradiol to progesterone ratios in the, gosh, 200 to one and above. And again, you're in that kind of 20-ish to one category. So I think you look pretty good. At least on the paper. At least on the paper. <laughs> CBC looking good, you know, CMP in terms of, and I assume you were fasting for this, right? So actually I did not, my cholesterol was a little off, but I was yeah. not, I was not fasted. I did have like my coffee with heavy cream, like before maybe three hours before that you're gonna have to get some layered superfood coffee creamer yeah why are you drinking coffee it is like hmm, okay. because i like to have my androgen receptors more sensitive to testosterone <laughs> that helps okay that's good to know so your glucose looks good even not fasting you're 96 mm -hmm. look great hydration looks reasonable your being creatinine ratio is 16 i like that closer to 10 or 12 I think you look reasonably good there. Liver enzymes, you know, LFTs and AST and ALT, awesome, perfect. You ate, so we kind of have to ignore some of this small particulate breakdown of cholesterol. Your LDL is 168, again, because you coffee creamer and you ate some stuff. Yep. Makes your total cholesterol calculation be 246. But in that setting, you have an HDL or good cholesterol or high-density lipoprotein, whatever you want to say. Heavy particle is the important term there. 63, that's pretty good. You know, it's not as good as it could be, but it's pretty good. And so it just lowers your coronary, you know, your cardiovascular risk, supposedly, if you believe the current data. Triglycerides looking good, you know, in the setting of low triglycerides and a 96 glucose and a sex hormone binding globin and a 114, I don't think you have any element of insulin resistance or anything like that going on. Thyroid profile, you know, the TSH of 2.0, and a free T3 of 2.9, mm -hmm. I would call this, you know, euthyroid. This is, this is middle of road normal. Could you foreseeably have some energy deficit and maybe see some changes in your hair thickness and some swelling at different times and maybe consider pushing your free T3 higher? Yes. As an off-label use, you could. How but can you do that? Like, what do you do? You look normal, you know. What do you do to, how can you do that? Well, as an off-label use of thyroid supplementation, you could use a product like Armor Thyroid or NP oh, yeah. that have a little bit of T4 and a little bit of T3 combined together mm -hmm. and use those. I don't really like basic T4 supplementation with like Synthroid. I think yeah. a lot of times you wind up spinning your wheels and depleting the enzyme that converts it to T3. Again, it's a whole other podcast probably. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I like combo thyroid products. Mm -hmm. Other stuff... 
your B vitamin B12 specifically, you know, you're in the lower quartile there, you're 400. Mm-hmm. Typically, depending on which reference lab your podcasters follow, 200 to 1200 seems to be accepted as normal. I certainly like to push that one a little higher for multiple reasons, not only for a, an energy boost, which I think I think some people misuse B vitamins for energy boosts. Mm-hmm. I can't, but I think more importantly, it plays into how the liver processes sugar and stores glycogen and even nerve sheaths get manipulated here. So I like to see that B12 number higher. Gotcha. Like a thousand per month. I actually did get some B12 injections. And Have I'm, you been using them yet? Yes. So I am on my, going on my third week. So I've had five injections and you know what? It's weird because my best friend asked me, she's like, can you tell a difference? And I'm like, you know, actually I have not had to take a nap. Usually when I get home from work, I am like, oh, I need a nap. And I just take a nap, which is fine. But I haven't had to take a nap. I can definitely tell increase my energy and i've never done any injections of b12 but the oral supplements are not really they're not really absorbed as much is that correct like well it's not for the can absorb i think you see certainly people that have had any kind of gastric motility problem or emptying problem rather you know the gastroparesis where you change the emptying speeds or any kind of surgery that would change you know you've got track you see malabsorptions there and some genetic malabsorptions like people that don't have intrinsic factor to absorb B12. But most part, I think B vitamin supplementation as a whole can be done orally, but you get some gastritis, you get some irritation, mm-hmm. you get some GERD, you get some diarrhea with it in big doses. So a lot of times in that person that says, you know, I don't like taking a handful of pills twice a day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe we try like a subcutaneous injectable B complex or B12 directly. And it works pretty well, and it's cheap. What about sublingual? Sublingual better, obviously, than PO, and then the I yeah for the most part yeah you can bypass first you know first pass you know that going sublingual, but here we go with like a price thing right? So like micronized vitamins that we get or sublingual formats too. At some point, you're kind of meeting the threshold of what injections would cost, and we know that like a subcutaneous administered B12 kind of keeps the gas tank full. If that's kind of a gas tank, you just keep leaching it in, probably pound for pound better off with that. Then you don't have to wonder, are my sublingual, is my sublingual absorbing? Yeah. So what is like, you know, I guess we don't pay that much attention to B12 vitamin. Like what are, you know, like the importance, what is the importance of vitamin Bs in your body? Obviously energy, is there anything with like mitochondrial activity as well, like ATP and all that stuff? Or Yeah, I mean, so, you know, the, of the B family, B12 is what we talk about a lot. But you also have to remember there's you know, thymus and, or thymine rather, niacin, uh, riboflavin, even biotin's a B vitamin, peroxidine. So B12 is just one arm of that. And yeah, they play into how we make, again, nerve sheaths and how the liver converts you know, has fat accumulation and how we make energy, numbness, tingling, again, from the nerve sheath thing. There's, there's a million functions that B vitamins do that it's not just weight loss and energy. There's, there's a bunch of others. It's quite important for sure. Yeah. No. Even DNA synthesis, you know, you mentioned mitochondrial function. DNA synthesis comes from the B vitamins. Like B9 is important there. Mm. Mm. So... The next one that I, I think 
the only other one that was kind of out of whack and I was actually surprised my vitamin D3 or yeah. D25, whatever, is that the yeah. lab test, right? D25 hydroxy, yeah. So in January, my vitamin D25 was 82 and two, whatever, three weeks ago, whenever we did the labs, it was 39. It's kind of crazy because I feel like I've been in the sun more because I walk outside all the time, but I don't supplement daily with D3. I take it maybe, I take 5,000 micrograms, maybe like two to three times a week. Right. And I was kind of surprised actually that, you know, because I don't use a lot of sunscreen, maybe just on my face because I don't want wrinkles, you know, but like on my body, I don't use sunscreen. And so I was surprised that my D vitamin was that low. So what do you think, like some of the causes for that maybe, or I started supplementing again daily. So hopefully I can recheck them yeah. maybe next six months and see. Probably several factors there. I mean, one, you would have thought that when you lost, you know, a significant amount of weight, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, sometimes vitamin D is fat soluble, gets stored in the fat, you mm. start burning a bunch of fat, you start to see vitamin D levels rise. Are we seeing a latent phase after that and you don't have the storage you did? Maybe. Are the supplements you're taking good? Are they mine? No, they're not. <laughs> I <need> um, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, are they of good quality as best they can be anyway? Do you have an absorption problem? You know, there's, there's several methods of testing that can tell you about vitamin D absorption. In fact, there's some genetic links to that. Mm-hmm. Sun exposure, well, you know, yes, 20 minutes of sun exposure is supposedly adequate, but is it truly, does everyone convert the same ratio? No. Mm-hmm. So certainly vitamin D has got a lot of attention in the past six months, especially because of its immunity role with COVID hanging around. So mm-hmm. been trying to harp on more vitamin D for just an immunity standpoint, but more so than that, absolutely is implicated in hormone dysfunction and downregulation and sleep quality from serotonin levels being changed. And yeah. for you, you're not old enough yet, but bone quality is a factor there with vitamin D. I guess the other question is what's your diet done to change how much D intake besides the supplements and what's your gut pH done? Sometimes that's a problem with absorption of D. Mm, so if your gut pH is higher, higher, yeah, if you have definitely, less D. definitely, because you know I did a lot of fasting, and so when you fast, mm. your gut pH does change, and it becomes more a little bit more alkaline because you're not digesting as much food all the time. So it has to adjust to the amount of food you're taking in. So that could be it. And you know what? One other thing is I used to take like liquid micellar vitamin D3 before. And I think that is the biggest difference. So maybe I need to go back to doing that more. I don't know. Perhaps. Or just sheer volume of D and taking a cheaper Mm -hmm. form. And that, you know, 5,000 a day is kind of the baseline I recommend. Sometimes I go 10,000 a day. There's pretty good evidence that what we used to think was the ceiling Used to the reference ranges would all flag at 100 on the D25 hydroxy, and they still flag at 100. But there's good evidence that pushing beyond that 125, 150 isn't toxic like we used to think it was. There's a lecture series done by one of the Harvard guys that I would urge everyone to go find and watch. It's on YouTube. You can find it. And he has a pretty convincing two-hour lecture on vitamin D toxicity and why the reference ranges are probably undershooting it. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. And do you take Vitamin D3 with K2, is that something that's important to take? Otherwise, that 
you can get some calcification, right, in, in your arteries and stuff like that. Supposedly. I, I haven't seen convincing evidence that shows that. And, and if you know of a, an interventional trial that proves it, show it to me. I'd, I'd actually like to read it. Yeah. I've seen some retrospective look-back studies, but I'll just be honest, you know, a correlate doesn't mean causation. So do I take K2? Yes. Do I tell every single patient to do that? No, we talk about it and we talk about cost and we talk about maybe other cofactors they have with their liver. And sometimes I don't always recommend K2. Yeah, I do take it just because I'm like, ah, I mean, like I would hate to be wrong. And then some of my calcium move out of my bones and calcify in my arteries, you know, so I do take a little bit, you know, yeah. with my D3, but I mean, there really isn't, I mean, it's hard to tell. And I have looked. And so if you know of one, tell me, but I would look for a coronary calcium score study related to vitamin D dosing. I just Mm. seen one. It'll be interesting. I'll look into that. Yeah. PubMed that one. (laughs) Before we go to part two, I have one more question kind of related to my labs and kind of the female stuff. Like, you know, often women don't think testosterone is as important and I, they kind of assume that mostly it's a male problem, you know. So, sure. But sexual health is such a vital part of just overall well-being, your energy, how you're feeling. So can you yep. tell a little bit about it, why this is not true, obviously? that Sure. Well, I mean, it's clear that it's not the major female hormone, okay? Mm-hmm. You hit it there. Estradiol and progesterone play a bigger role in your menstruation cycle and there are people that think that testosterone in men is just a pro-drug for estrogen and DHT. And I have a little argument to that, but at the end of the day, they may not be totally wrong. And in women, testosterone for sexual dysfunction certainly is a helpful tool that has been documented pretty well, but there's other things. Can it drive bone health? Well, if it aromatizes an estradiol, sure. Can it negate some cardiovascular disease? Supposedly, mm-hmm. there's evidence that testosterone and estradiol play a role in deplacking. There's plenty of evidence out there. But mental health is where I like it. There's really strong evidence, not only from the VA and men and women, mm-hmm. but in some other independent studies about how people rate their depression scores and their PTSD scores mm-hmm. and correlate that to their testosterone levels. It's pretty remarkable how they're inversely proportional, like low PTSD stress score, mm-hmm. usually a higher quartile testosterone. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying it's magic. There is no free lunch. There is no magic. But they do seem to go hand in hand. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. So for women, like what are some ways, you know, I mean, obviously you can take, if it's super low, you can take injections, right? Like some. Sure, you could. Uh, and I don't think that injections are superior to the topical for most topical. women. Yeah. I think there's a convenience factor, you know, topical needs to be every day or maybe even twice a day in some settings. Mm-hmm. Injectable formats can be spread out a bit because the esters, we mix them with, make them last longer. So once a week, twice a week, around there with injections, like a subcutaneous in you know, the fat dose works pretty well. You do not have to do intramuscular. And there's pellets, and we can get into why I don't like them. There's patches, we can get into why I don't like them. There's even nasal spray formats. Mm-hmm. What do you use? Creams, like topical stuff usually for women? Well, this is where you get into the why. So if I'm treating someone for like a sexual dysmorphia where they just, the sex drive is their main focus. Mm-hmm. 
then yeah, a lot of times I do reach the topical because there's some local dilatation that happens where you apply kind of the outer vaginal, you know, like the outer labial fold is a good place. Oh, really? Wow. Right. Yeah. So you get some, you get some of that. Say can, you, can you prescribe me some of that? <laughs> we'll talk about that. Yeah. So there's some local dilatation and I think sexual satisfaction probably directly correlates with that like clitoromegaly or some clitoral sensitivity change there. And it's not that injectable won't do that. It's just to a lesser degree. So with women, yeah, a lot of times I do lean on cream more so. It's also the most kind of isomolecular version of testosterone available. Or, you know, I hate the term bioidentical, but I use it. Yeah, It mimics as closely as how you would have made it, you know, if you use a yam-based product that there is that I know yeah, of. I actually did. I did use yam-based products before, like for progesterone and estrogen when I got off birth control because my sure. hormones were like completely out of whack after being on birth control for 18 years. Well, that's yeah, the nature of the beast with birth control. <laughs> yeah, but it helped. It made a big difference. So if you do like do a cream, like testosterone cream, Will your body, you know, there's people, you know, always say, will your body stop producing as much testosterone because you're supplementing with the cream and it gets used to getting the external source of testosterone? And then, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know that's a big concern, not just for women, but for men as well. Well, for women, you don't get as much testosterone just sheerly from the ovary. You have alternate sites of production. The adrenal glands are a good example. Whereas the male relies heavily, like in the high 99% range on his testicular production. So if you give a female testosterone, does it shut down some of their own production? Yes. Your brain sees that excess level through multiple mechanisms. The FSH and LH stimulation pathway gets shut down. And yeah, it's not like a light switch where it's on off. It's more like a dimmer switch where it turns down the percent production. Mm -hmm. Women rebound from that really well if you ever stop testosterone, and you actually rebound pretty fast. Men, on the other hand, if we're relying on this organ, the testicles, to produce it all, and we shrink those or atrophy those, they will rebound if they stop. It just takes longer. And there's other ways around it. There's other drugs to use. But in short, I don't know of a study that says you take testosterone and can never make your own ever again. It, does, it just doesn't work that way. Okay. Well, it's good to know because I know that's a big concern for a lot of, like for even for women and men, obviously. But yeah. Anything else that you want to add as far as like, the, oh, I do have one more question. How often do you recommend doing like a panel? Like every six months, once a year? Like, you yeah, know, I think it's- twice a year is enough to not be overkill, but to have clinical use, especially... <laughs> If you make a change in something, you know, we change your vitamin D or we, ch- we wind up adding some hormone intervention. Yeah, all my active patients, we do every three months. Okay. One patient that's, you know, quote unquote natural and they're just doing their thing with diet exercise routine and maybe over the counter supplements, mm-hmm. six months isn't unreasonable. I would not go a full year without looking at my liver and blood count and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. So in the second part, I've actually gotten a lot of questions from some of the guys. Majority of course, men love testosterone. Oh, yes, they do. But I've gotten some really good questions from some of the guys that I coach and some of the people that follow me as well on Instagram and my podcast. So I kind of want to discuss a little bit of men's health because you and the hormone balances in men because you're kind of the expert on this. So Expert's a strong word. 
<laughs> yeah, you're close, close up there. Can you tell me exactly what you guys do in your clinic with the testosterone replacement? Like what other services? Like, you know, I see a lot whenever I'm there, you know, I'm getting my cryo and my, you know, I see a lot of men coming in and out and get their blood drawn. And can you talk a little bit about the services you guys provide? And sure. So, I mean, step one in any situation like that, especially in the male setting is come give me a bank of labs. Let me see what correlates with the symptoms you have. Low testosterone, it's been implicated in, in falsely in a lot of problems, but it's kind of the red herring is, and men think, well, you know, I don't feel right, it must be my testosterone. Sometimes that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Often it is, but sometimes not. So step one, give me a bank of labs and let's see what we're dealing with and you know, what symptoms or what we're dealing with. Services that we offer, well, testosterone re- replacement therapy or TRT or testosterone optimization, TOT, whatever you want to call it, same language. Yeah, I mean, injectable or topical options for men. If fertility's in the mix, you know, we're worried about the question you asked earlier about testicle atrophy and making your own. There are drugs I use for men. HCG is one. Clomid is one. Other services I offer, you know, we talk about peptides and interventions there that try to make your pituitary gland kick out more insulin growth factor. We're talking about, you know, recovery and strength pathways as another service. Certainly I have, you know, in the midst of a testosterone clinic, we have an erection clinic, erectile dysfunction clinic. We use a lot of vasodilation, Cialis. Is There's a big difference. Sometimes guys are like, okay, well, no, blood flow problem versus testosterone problem. Right. Different yeah, things. Again, this is why I wanted those symptoms plus labs. Mm-hmm. Yes, because there's a big so, difference. And sometimes guys... I know guys that don't understand one from the other. That's right. So, no, so no, you got, you know, you have a, a big prostate in an older gentleman. Well, maybe he doesn't even want to talk about testosterone because it's kind of pseudo normal. And his only problem is he needs to shrink his prostate. Well, Cialis is actually approved for use in that. Mm. I have to go there, straight to testosterone. Yeah. There seems to be so much stigma and a lot of misconceptions about testosterone replacement due to mm-hmm. the bodybuilding world, you know, like mm-hmm. the overuse and all the, you know, can you debunk some of those myths and misconceptions, you know, because obviously this is totally different than like bodybuilders previously, like, you know, injecting and overusing or uh, dying from it. I mean, there's I, deaths, right? right. From- well, let's clarify this. First things first, overuse of anything is probably not a good idea. For example, water. Yeah. Or air, oxygen. Either of those will kill you in excess. Yeah. Start there. Testosterone is no different. I think overuse or misuse, especially black market products that are made in probably somebody's bathtub somewhere in Russia or China or Mexico. That's an obvious, like, don't do that, guys. Come Not on. online, illegally, yes. Mm-hmm. But when done correctly, I think it's overwhelmingly convincing from literature review, safe. And some of the myths that I hear all the time, every single day, somebody says, well, my wife says it's going to cause prostate cancer debatable on that one, but the most recent literature from the Mayo Clinic, the Washington University study, there's no direct causation from DHT to prostate cancer in their studies. And in fact, after treatment, they put their cancer patients back on TRT now. There's been instances of castrated, no testosterone people getting various types of prostate cancer. So certainly DHT that comes from testosterone can cause some dilation and blood flow pattern changes. And so if you had an existing cancer, you're pouring gasoline on it, sure, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, 
positive. Another one I hear, just like we talked about earlier, is once you take testosterone, you're on it forever. You can't come off. It's just simply not true. If you're just now tuning in, rewind like three or four minutes where we just talked about that. Not the case. Other slowly, like, you know, like, okay, what, when somebody's getting testosterone, you get it up to whatever level. Do you slowly decrease the amount they're getting? Is How do you, you know, like, what do you usually do? Like, how does that work? So I guess I would answer that question with how do your testicles do it? So the testicle never, it was never intended for men to have like once a week or once every two week testosterone and then not see any more for the entire week or two weeks or month or however people dose it. Smaller, more frequent doses, more closely mimic how you would naturally make it. There's no evidence that says if you take a physiologic amount and we're, and we're trying to keep people in the, the higher end parameters of what's considered, you know, normal. Mm-hmm. So we keep them kind of at that higher quartile. There's no evidence that have to come off at some point or cycle on and off. There's just no data that says that. There is data that says the longer you're on, the more testicle atrophy you had, like we said a few minutes ago. But I think there's ways around that with drugs like HCG and you try to keep neutral stimulation there. Other things I hear, stroke, heart attack, you know, people think they're interesting going to have a heart attack on testosterone. Well, if you get your blood pressure up from caffeine or from whatever stimulant you can find on the street, you might have a heart attack. If you get your blood pressure up from sodium retention by hitting the salt shaker too much, you might have a heart attack. If you overuse testosterone and subsequently retain fluid and get your blood pressure up, you might have a heart attack. Testosterone itself didn't do that to you. And if you control the amount and you watch the pressure, you shouldn't have a heart attack at any rate higher than you naturally would. So I think that's a myth to debunk. Another one I see quite often is estrogen in men. They think they're going to get man boobs or whatever they call it. Gynecomastia is the term overwhelmingly not true when done correctly, you know, when you, you get, really get what would they like estrogen re- replacement? No. Like what would, so when you give testosterone, it breaks down into two important things. One is estradiol mm. and the other is DHT. So the thought is in the gym community, the bodybuilding world, I'm going to take testosterone and because I'm making more estrogen, I'm instantly going to grow breasts. Mm. And while that can happen in certain situations, it is overwhelmingly rare and typically dose dependent and some genetic component. I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that don't have man boobs. (laughs) Yeah. You're probably more likely to get man boobs from all the plastic you're, you know, drinking. Microplastics. Oh, you've been, you've been reading. I see. I have actually. I started reading Extra Generation by Anthony GJ. Yes. Very, very good. And it's a great book. Yeah. Just, I mean, like, it's quite eye-opening, you know, to see how much right? our food, our water, our personal care items, plastics, even like lavender affect our estrogen balance. So you did read the book. Yeah. So soy, flaxseed, lavender are high on the offender list of like mimicking estrogens, these phytoestrogens. And I think the important take-home, because people are going to instantly hear us say this and they're going to go, well, estrogen's bad. I don't want any. But I just said a few minutes ago that it's good to reduce coronary plaquing and increase sexual function. Estrogen that your body naturally makes is good. Estrogen that you eat that's synthetic, like in birth control, or phytoestrogens that come from like soy, reportedly not good, guys. 
That's not a good thing in massive doses anyway. Yeah. This one question comes from one of my clients, actually. He lost about 60 pounds in the last four months, let's say. And he started seeing a lot of his hair falling out. And I'm aware that obviously this can be due to like calorie intake, decreased calorie intake from dieting or fasting because your body assumes that your hair is non-essential and it kind of turns off the follicle in there. Yeah, unless you live in like Alaska, right? (laughs) Is there a correlation to testosterone and estrogen imbalances in men that can cause this? And like what... You know, what can you do? That's a tough one. That's a debatable one because, and this has been argued for years back and forth about why. There's a genetic predisposition to male pattern balding like I would have. This is, you know. What? You're balding? Let me see. Oh my gosh. It's bad. It's it's (laughs) getting old. The 5-alpha reductase pathway, again, back to what I said about testosterone turning in DHT. DHT has been implicated in this kind of pattern of balding. But what you're talking about is probably more, you know, truly like a pseudo malnutrition where even though he, he changed his diet for the better and he lost body weight, if he was doing it through fasting, you know, the body has mechanisms that try to preserve us. And yeah, there could have been a, a there could have been a B vitamin deficiency there. Mm-hmm. Um, there could have been, absolutely. Yeah. There could have been some thyroid, you know, shift there if he was truly really on a big deficit not taking up a lot of iodine or phytoiodines. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of considerations there, but it's pretty well correlated. People that have big starvation diets or people that are extremely low testosterone for long periods of time, they can have thinning hair. That is true. So would you recommend maybe getting like a blood panel and checking your labs first? Make sure you're not kind of all over the place. You're, not- you're already doing my job for me. Yeah, you win. Step one, Step always. One. If there's a change in perception of symptoms or you don't feel right or something's you know inconsistent with what you've been for the last few years check your labs i also read that if you lose a ton of weight a lot of a lot of times you use a lot of you lose a lot of estrogen because Mm. with the weight loss and sometimes that like same thing with women three to four months after pregnancy they end up losing a lot of estrogen because it's leaving their body after you yeah, know. something around 5 to 7% on average estradiol comes from fat production. So that could be also, you know, like the quick, you know, I guess getting rid of the estrogen in your body because a lot of women during that time also end up losing a lot of hair. I worked with one of the docs that just had a baby three, four months ago, and she said, my hair started falling out like crazy. For no Maybe the other thing there you're seeing is not just estrogen shift. You may be seeing a progesterone deficit there too, post you know postpartum. Balance, right? Gotta be. It's a seesaw, guys. It's gotta be balanced. Yeah, yeah. So get your labs done and then go from there. See Absolutely. what it look like if your testosterone is too low, if your estrogen is too high, or yeah, good point. So, what advice do you have for? men and women out there dealing with hormonal issues, you know, maybe someone that maybe they don't know they're dealing with hormonal issues. Like what would you look for in, for, in their symptoms? Like what would you look for? Like any advice or. Yeah. For the women, the, the common three things I hear are I constantly am moody. I don't sleep mm. well and I feel bloated every time I eat something mm. I hear it all the time. 
And then to tack onto that, I don't want sex anymore. Mm. Those are the three or four big things. It's bad, ladies. If you don't want to have sex, it's a bad thing. It's, it's bad for your mental health. Yes, mm. and for your men and, and for everyone. You know, you, you yeah. should not, you should, I mean, there's days when you're tired and you don't want it, but in general, that's something that is vital to your health. Agreed. And then the men, it's a very similar thing. For them, it's very specific sometimes. It's like, I'm tired at three o'clock in the afternoon and I just want to eat carbs. The second one is I can have sex anytime I want. You know, the mechanics all work, erection quality and things like that. I just don't care anymore. It's not on my list of things to do. The third one is gym performance where they're saying, you know, I work out like I always did, but I don't see the return on investment. Or the other one pretty frequently with men is, I pay for a workout with longer recovery than I used to. I see that pretty often. And of course, both sexes can have sleep disturbances and things like that with it. And that could be either testosterone, progesterone, or estrogen imbalance. Yeah, or, or a million other things, you know, cortisol, their stress hormone, homocysteine, thyroid shit. That, again, give me some labs. You know, let's yeah. correlate them with your symptoms and see what's up. So number one, don't wander around. Just get your labs done for $150 <laughs> if you're in this area. I mean, it does not get be- any better than that. I've always like only got my labs done once a year because it's so expensive. Right. You know, and so I'm so, so grateful for you guys. Well, thank you. I think one quick thing to, to wrap up with and, and think about for people thinking about their hormones, I don't think hormones are magical. I think they obviously have a business to use them. Mm-hmm. They have excellent clinical value in the right setting. But step one, besides getting labs, are you sleeping well? Do you exercise at all? And what's your diet like? You know, yeah. Those are the three questions I ask every single person who walks in the door. Tell me a bit about you and what you do, and then we'll go from there. That's, those are important pieces of the puzzle. Stress level, you know, everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yes. Very good point. This is very informative. Thank you. I don't know. Listen, there is so much we could do to break this out in about four hours worth of content, <laughs> but I think we've watered it down pretty well for people yeah. that just want to basically know. It's, it's been really nice. You know, well, we want to do what we do with a safety factor and with clinical evidence to back us up. That's how we. That's how we do it. I don't do things just because I think they're there. I can prove to you on paper thousands of patient hour studies that back up what we're saying yeah and you know you do most of the consultations right with patients absolutely yeah we have you know two managing physicians and medical directors that see patients as well but the primary pathway to just get the ball rolling comes through me most of the time awesome i do want to do another well not during this time but another podcast with you about like all the benefits of like cryotherapy and yes. yeah, we should totally do that. things are so amazing. And like, you know, you as, know, as, as far as I know, we're one of the only clinic systems around that combines infrared sauna, cryo and hormone management in one package. There's not a lot of people doing that. And, but, but I think they really play well together. There's a reason we do that. Yeah. I mean, infrared so, is so good for hormones too. Like, absolutely. And everything else. So I'm super excited to hopefully talk about this sometime soon. I have to do a little bit more research, some more knowledgeable, so I can ask the appropriate questions. Okay. And yeah, but thank I'm you. I'm ready whenever. 
Yes, I'm so excited. Thank you so, so much for taking your precious time and being on and talking to me. I appreciate well, thanks it. Thanks for I, having me, Monica. Yeah, I, 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 I want to do it again. Yeah, I hope get, I get to see you at one of your clinics soon. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so Come much, over. Mary. Have yeah, a good thank you. Have a good day. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share it on your social media, and be sure to leave a review on iTunes. Follow Monica on Instagram at fit.fat.hotaf and on Twitter at fitfathotaf.